grace and peace, love and mercy from God our Father, through Jesus Christ, our risen Savior and Lord. Amen. For the last several weeks, we have been examining God's gift of repentance. We heard our junior confirmads confess that gift of repentance, that gift that comes in two parts. To be sorry, contrition, and to have faith. Tonight, we conclude this series and we ask the question, where do we repent? Where? Where do we do it? Where do we repent? God's word for tonight, the first five verses of Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered over. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Dear friends in Christ, where should we repent? Sounds like kind of a silly question, doesn't it? God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. All Christians believe that. It shouldn't matter where we are when we repent. That's the point of the question. It's not where we are when we repent. It's where God is. Where God is when we repent. The first two verses of Psalm 32 describe perhaps the most blessed, glorious, joyous state than any person can possibly imagine. We are blessed, blessed by God. We are absolutely ecstatic when our sins are forgiven. When our sins are forgiven, we're at peace. When our sins are forgiven, we can enjoy life, the life that God has given us. King David here in Psalm 32 under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit describes that euphoria that we have and should experience in the forgiveness of sins. God's Word makes a distinction with regard to the forgiveness of sins. How it is earned, how it is given, and how it is received or gotten. The forgiveness of sins is earned by the bloody death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. His life, His death, His resurrection. 
secures the forgiveness of sins for you and for me and for the entire world. The forgiveness of sins is distributed or given out in the gospel. The gospel in all of its various forms as we sang in that office hymn, the gifts God freely gives. He distributes the good news, the forgiveness of sins, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Earned by Jesus, given in the Holy Gospel. How do we get it? We receive it by grace, which means we don't deserve it or earn it, through faith. My friends, earned by Jesus, given in the gospel, received by faith. So simple with regard to the forgiveness of sins. This is the forgiveness that David is writing about and how blessed we are when we know, when we believe that our sins are indeed forgiven. All too often, it sounds too good to be true. All too often, we think we have better words than God himself. And so we put our words, our brain, our reason, our logic, our emotions, our heart into the equation. And how foolish we are when we do that. We sin. And rather than simply believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, we want to bargain with God. We want to make a deal. We want to coerce God into doing what we want. We want to manipulate God. And how do we do that? We do that with our prayers. We do that with our promises. We do that with our vows and our resolutions. We do that with our offerings, with our sacrificial lives. We think we need to do something so that the forgiveness of sins is real, certain, guaranteed, but instead we do just the opposite. When we interject ourselves into God's equation, earned by Jesus, given in the gospel, received by faith, we're left in a state of doubt. We're left with false hopes. Hope in our works righteousness. Hope in our self-justification. We wonder if we've ever done enough. The monster of uncertainty weighs us down. And it's a never-ending cycle. And it gets worse and worse and worse. My friend, Psalm 32, authored by King David. And we know the story of King David, don't we? 
what prompted him to write this particular psalm? About the joy and euphoria of knowing that our sins, that his sins were forgiven. David's a king. Good to be king. When you're the king, you can have anything you want because you're the king. At the time of the year when kings go to war, David stayed home. He violated his vocation as king. But it gets worse. David sees Bathsheba bathing in the moonlight. David's the king. He wants her. He takes her. A child is conceived. And now the sin that he had hoped would be secret would be public to everyone. So what does the, do, the king do? The king takes matters into his own hands. He won't listen to the word of God. He can't listen to the word of God because he's going to fix it himself. So what does David do? David calls Bathsheba's husband back from the front, from the war where David should have been to begin with. He figures Uriah will come home, spend the night with Bathsheba, everyone will assume the baby is his, no harm, no foul. But Uriah is a more righteous dude than David himself. He won't spend the night with his wife, not when his soldiers, his companions, are camped in battle. So the king continues to take matters into his own hands. I'll get Uriah drunk. And he does. But Uriah still sleeps outside, depriving himself because of his fellow soldiers. All of David's plans have been foiled. So there's only one thing left for David to do. He makes out an order that Uriah should lead the soldiers into battle where the fighting is the fiercest. And then all the soldiers should pull back and let Uriah be exposed. Uriah, unbeknownst to him, carries the order for his own death back to the front. The orders are carried out. Uriah is killed. After a short time of mourning, David and Bathsheba are married. The sin is covered over. Nobody knows any better. But the thing David has done displeased the Lord. David broke the 10th commandment by coveting his neighbor's wife, which led him to break the 6th commandment, committing adultery, which led him to break the 5th commandment, murder, 
All the while, he was breaking the first commandment because David was God unto himself. So what did God do? God loved David. He sent Nathan, his prophet, to confront David in his sin. Nathan tells a little story. There's a rich man who has all kinds of flocks. He's very wealthy. He's very famous. He has pretty much everything. And his next door neighbor is very poor. In fact, he only has one little ewe lamb. And because he only has one, he treats it special, like, like, like a daughter to him. Now the rich man had a friend come and spend the night. He wanted to prepare a fine meal, but rather than take one of his own sheep, he took the little ewe lamb from his poor neighbor and slaughtered it and fed it to his guest. David, when he heard the story, he burned with rage and anger. As surely as the Lord lives, this man shall die. And then Nathan looked at David square in the eye. And he said, you are the man. You are the man. David's king. He could have easily had Nathan's tongue or entire head removed. But he heard the word of God and believed it. David responded in true repentance. He was sorry for his sin. And he believed that God could and would forgive him. Oh, certainly there were consequences to David's sin. There are consequences to all sin. The baby would die. There would be conflict in David's family going forward. But that doesn't change the sweet word of the forgiveness of sins that God, through Nathan, proclaimed to David. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. David knew it firsthand because while he, as the king, tried to cover up all of his sin and everything looked good on the outside, David was miserable on the inside. That's what happens any time we try to take care of our own sin. It's like chewing on shards of glass. And when they hit your belly, they eat you up and destroy you from the inside out. This is how David describes it. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. My friends, 
When we refuse to repent, we suffer. When we refuse to repent, we are in misery. And this is a good suffering. This is a good misery. As God is preparing us to hear His Word and to repent where He promises to be. Of course God is everywhere. He fills all things. But He promises to be where His Word is proclaimed in its truth and purity like out of Nathan's mouth. God promises to be where the words of the holy absolution are proclaimed. My son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven on account of the person and work of Jesus Christ. God promises to be in the waters of holy baptism as he robes us in his righteousness and gives us a new identity. God promises to be in the gift of the Lord's Supper. Not just bread and wine, but the very body and blood of Jesus for you, for the forgiveness of sins. My friends, David writes, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Tonight, Hear it again as if for the first time. Blessed are you when your sins are forgiven. The forgiveness of sins earned by Jesus on Calvary's cross. The forgiveness of sins freely given, distributed in the gospel. No strings attached. The forgiveness of sins received by faith. This is where we repent. This is where we live. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, keep our hearts, our minds, and our repentance. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.